Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of all of it. My name's Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This show is named after a song by and hugely inspired by singer-songwriter John Bottomley. This past week marked the 10th anniversary of his tragic suicide death. I feel dedicated to help keep his music and spirit alive and hopefully to spread awareness of mental health and illness issues. Together, we can do our part to normalize these conversations and reduce the fear and stigma surrounding mental illnesses. With any luck at all, we might be able to reach someone before suicide seems like the only option. There is help available and life will get better if you get the right help. There are links to a lot of great resources on the show's website, flywithyourshadow.com. If you're struggling or have any questions at all, please feel free to get in touch with me at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. When I started planning for the production and release of this show, today's guest was right at the top of the list of people that I hoped to land for the show. She's a big inspiration and role model for her advocacy work, and I'm also a big fan of her wonderful music. I'm Amelia Curran. I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland. I am a singer, songwriter, filmmaker, uh, mental health care advocate. Over the course of five albums made with the backing of the influential Six Shooter Records label, Amelia Kern's name became one that was known and respected across the country and beyond Canada's borders. She's won just about every music award there is in Canada, including a Juno, SoCan Award, Canadian Folk Music Awards, and multiple awards on Canada's East Coast, where she makes her home. In 2014, Amelia spearheaded a project called This Video, which is a star-studded song and video that presents some startling facts about depression and suicide, but it ends with hope, optimism, and a call to action. She's made other powerful documentary films since then, and you can find a few of them along with her music and much more information at ameliacurran.com. This video eventually led Amelia to form an organization called It's Mental. That's a grassroots community organization that focuses on the funding and sharing of knowledge on mental health realities and first aid mental health training that will help safeguard our communities, families, and friends. Please check out itsmental.ca to find out more about the organization. To find training in mental health first aid, visit mhfa.ca. All of those links and more can be found at flywithyourshadow.com. Even though there's a lot of serious and heavy material to cover, I had a whole lot of fun chatting with Amelia, and I know you'll enjoy listening. As usual, the sound quality isn't perfect, but I think you'll get the message loud and clear. I know you say you've got no regrets, but I call time. Calls a number, and this one's mine. 
All right, let's start musically because I think most people, especially out here, probably know you most for your music. But it's been a while. It's I think your last record was what Watershed. I think it was four years ago or something. And was it four years ago? Yes. Yeah, twenty seventeen. I think four years ago. And uh, I don't know when the last time you were in Winnipeg was, but we haven't seen you for a while. So uh, things have been fairly quiet on the music scene, as far as we know. Uh, is that still something that you're doing a lot of? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm doing a lot of much. Uh, <laughs> um, I am, uh, yeah, I am still making music. I have some grand plans. I have, no, I have one grand plan and it's a gooder and I'm really excited about it, but it's still going to be a while. So yeah, I mean, if, if my career was still what it has been, I would have made another record two years ago, you know, or three years ago or one year, I don't know, um, every two or three years would be your album cycle. So Watershed has done what it's going to do. And now it's sort of gone uh, by way of old catalog. And, um, uh, but I'm, I switched it up a bit. I've had a, a I, I, I left Six Shooter Records, not, not for any juicy gossipy reason it was just sort of I reached the end of that road I reached the end of that cycle I did enough of the tour it write it record it tour it write it record it I got tired of it so I've moved on to other things my one grand plan which I've told no one about should I tell you I would love that of course should this be the moment I'm gonna do it uh I am working on a a show if we hopefully we'll return to the kind of life where we get to have shows and um, I, uh, so I'm writing songs about systemic discrimination and victims of systemic discrimination. I know that sounds really feel good and warm and fuzzy, but it is sort of my sweet spot through all the mental health advocacy work and through the filmmaking and, and all of this stuff, I've landed in a place where I, I want to remember the purpose of folk music and through history, the purpose of the folk song is to stand up for the folks. And so I'm going to try and do that with a lot of consultation with a lot of community groups here in St. John's. I'm going to write the songs, I'm going to do the interviews. And I hope that it's something that we can take on the road as a presentation for social justice and uh, systemic change. So is it, is it a play? Is it uh, like, no, it's a, it's a music show and probably and probably an album too. Um, I'd like there to be a film component because it's all facets of of my life. Recently, somebody dropped the phrase "mid-career artist" on me, and I had a nervous breakdown of sorts. And you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. But I was like, okay, fair enough. Uh, so before I'm I'm old guard and have to shove off and make room. This is this is the project that that means the most to me that that I am going to be working on for for the next uh, several years probably. Get that out of the way before you have to go on the obligatory casino greatest hits tour. I guess is what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, and yeah, and then I'll and then I'll get that Juno song circle gig and they're like, wow, we thought you died. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds like an amazing project, and it's certainly linked to a lot of the things that you've been doing over your past few records, and and I guess perhaps maybe even all of them. You've always had kind of a social justice or some kind of meaning there that's that's outside of kind of you're not just writing love songs and hey baby songs, right? Like you've always kind of had a bit of a message and a bit of a a purpose to your music. I think can't help it. It's um so my. 
my father was an activist and uh, my, my sister uh, was a, a youth activist and um, we were just always a, a fairly leftist uh, household. So it's like, it's this, uh, it's this default place for me. And um, I don't know. I mean, I got a lot of love for the Hey Baby songs. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, but it's um, in terms of, I've often been curious about legacy and people's legacy. And, and if I'm considering as a <clears throat> mid-career artist, <laughs> begrudging mid-career artist, if I'm, if I'm talking about what has my purpose been as, as a musician, and I, I do think it's a, it's a social justice place. And do you think that makes it, has that made it easier or harder, do you think, for you to, to write songs when there's, when there's got to be a message or when there's got to be, or does there have to be, or does it just come out? I don't think there has to be a message. I think that the things that I have uh, either chosen or have been somehow <laughs> creatively forced to write about uh, have always been those sorts of things, have always been this kind of, uh, please understand me, please understand your neighbor, please try and have empathy, kind of uh, making people weepy is my sweet spot as much as I try not to. It's just what always happens. And, um, you know, if I can use my powers for good and not for evil, that would be good. <laughs> but I, the thing about systemic discrimination is that I, as a, you know, there's so much, there's a lot I can write about as a woman. There's a lot I can write about from a mental illness standpoint. Uh, but I, you, I also have a, a very deep understanding of what it means to be an ally. So that means that this is not a project I'm, I'm doing alone. There's a lot of outreach going on. If I'm, I can say one of the worst things I've ever seen is watching a white guy sing a song about missing and murdered indigenous women. And that's a shame because the guy cared enough to want to write the song and that's great. But in understanding what it is to be an ally, you really have to, there's a line to walk. There's a very helpful line to walk. And when you stray to the other side of it, you, you stop listening. And so I want to help. <laughs> I, I want to help. You know, you put that on gravestone too. She wanted to help. Like, what are you going to do? But I, I do want to help. I want to help elevate and I want to help amplify. And there's a way that I can do that without having to speak for somebody. So it's a very strict about it, nothing about us without us kind of way of doing it. And then when you boil it all down to being like, well, here I am alone in my house trying to be inspired to write a good folk song that I've also decided has to fulfill all this other complex social stuff. That's why it's going to take me a while. <laughs> so as a white guy, I'm still struggling with this white guy thing. How do, how do I be an ally or how do I talk about those things without it seeming insincere? Yeah. Well, this is the thing you, you educate and be educated. I mean, there's a, I can't believe it. I recognize that it's a, it's kind of a, I'm not going to say it's a hard time, but it's an interesting time to be a white guy, right? <laughs> you know? So I think that maybe there should be more talk about being an effective ally, but we need to, we need to learn that from the people we, need, we want to be allies to. You can't just jump in and be like, I'm an ally. I'm here to help. Um, that's all well and good, but you, you know, it's in terms of listening, understanding the language, understanding you know, it's, um, 
I look to LGBTQ2S plus culture quite a lot because that that community seems to be so on point with it and often first with things. And the uh, binary and non-binary language is, is fairly new to a lot of people, but so easily adopted. And all you have to do is listen, learn, and, and adopt, right? And that's, and that's it. It's that simple. Don't assume that somebody requires your help. But when someone says, maybe put your he, him tag on your email, that's very simple. And it's very important because it makes people say, why is that there? Right? That's it. It's all, it's just normalizing things, right? And you don't have to be LGBTQ and you don't have to be Indigenous to help normalize things and to help access visibility for, for you know, people who, who are suffering systemically. Yeah, because... Blah 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 blah. Yeah, here I am. Here I am. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no, it's it's giving me a lot to think about because I'm the I always I want to help. I want to be that guy, and and guys especially like we we want to fix things. We want to come in. We want to help. So we just always assume like barging in and saying, "Hey, I'm here to help. It's gonna help." But that's fine. And you have to be like, it, it's okay to include myself too. So I I thought you know I'm I'm a straight woman you know, female identifiers. And I was like, oh, there's no room for me in this. But there's room for me to say, uh, I'm a straight woman who identifies as female. That's okay. Because then it's, because then it's okay. So that's me over to you. You know, it's okay for, you know, why are we requiring people who identify as different to do all the self-identifying? Even though I'm in a majority, it's, it's harmless for me to, to use the say a similar identity language to just be like, yeah, name tags are okay. Everybody's got name tags. Don't worry about it. I never really thought about that. That's because it kind of normalizes that and like opens the door for other people to say who they are. Right. Yeah. Add, add the he, him. And then, um, you know what I assumed? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> add the he, him, they, or what, you know, whatever it is that, that you prefer, because how are you going to know if you don't ask? You can't ex expect people to be psychic either. Um, put it on the end of your email. There's also tags that you can put there that says, why is this here? And if someone is curious and wants to click it and doesn't want to ask, then it, it can bring you to sites that will explain very simply why these gender identifiers are there, gender pronoun identifiers. Oof. It's a lot. Language is a lot and, it, and it's often changing and it matters a lot. And the thing is, is that we have to allow ourselves and each other to ask questions that may be stupid questions. I want to say there are no stupid questions. There, there may be wrong questions like, you know, when people are like, well, which bathroom do you use? I'm like, maybe that's not quite the wrong question. Maybe it's the bathroom's fault, you know? <laughs> um, but it's okay to ask a few wrong questions before you get to the right one, right? So we have to allow other people to do that and allow ourselves to do that. And um, hopefully, hopefully you get the right answer. And that, that to me is, is being an effective ally is allowing yourself to take part. Not just say, oh, that's not for me. So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna close my eyes and, and close my ears and cause that's not me. It's okay to look and listen and learn. And, and in, in fact, I think it's essential. 
when you start doing a show like that, or when you start talking about these things, how do you, I feel like there's kind of a line between entertainer and educator. I'm, I'm generally an educator. Um, and I feel like, you know, in your line of work, you're, you're probably a large part entertainer. How do you, how do you make a show that's still entertaining, but still educates people and doesn't, doesn't bore them, but still gets a message across and. Um, I don't know. I'm working on it. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, I could talk about this sort of stuff all day long, but, at, at, you know, if, if I want this to be engaging and if I want people to listen, and the thing is, I'm talking and talking and talking about this, which I care about a lot, but I also care about music. I want it to be good. I want it to be catchy. I want to, you know, I, I'd like to make some money. I, you know, I want all that stuff too. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm asking too much, but I'm working hard for it. So I don't know. I mean, you want it to be engaging. I think that art is important when we see ourselves in it. And I think that that's what's important about representation too. And I think that a, a lot of underrepresented people are, are working so hard for that because their art is so important and, and the audiences are, are I, I'm getting a little lost in it. What I mean to say is, it's important when we see ourselves in it and we pay attention when we see ourselves in it. So I'm, I'm mostly just talking about myself, you know, coming to these realizations, trying to, to do a good job, trying to be empathetic, recognizing that it's really hard and it's really complex and then finding some forgiveness in that. And I think that there's a way forward and, and um, you know, I'm making music because politics kind of grosses me out and, and uh, it's, it is where I belong. I try to do a lot of other things, but I keep coming back to music. So. Well, you're certainly good at it, so I'm glad you keep coming back to it. We, uh, you know, we've, uh, I've certainly enjoyed the music for a long time, and I know a lot of people have as well. So, How's the pandemic been for you? Has it, uh, like, did you, should you have been out doing a lot of shows this past year, and, and did they go away, or, or were you kind of busy doing these other things anyway? Did it? I was kind of busy anyway. It's, I don't know if it's Murphy's law or, or whatever, or fabulous timing. I don't know if it's fabulous timing or terrible timing, but I had, you know, sort of parted ways with my industry partners and representation. And, um, and I was like, okay, I think I'll make some documentaries. I think I'll take a breather. I think I'll deal with my industry trauma (laughs) and, and, and step away from the industry for a while. And then I had a baby and, uh, and a whole bunch, which I got very defensive about because people were like, oh, she took time off to have a baby. And I'm like, no, it was the opposite. I just, anyway. And then this pand- pandemic has happened. So I was not going to be touring anyway. Uh, lucky me, I guess. But it's, it's hard. I can't be running out and making documentaries during this either. It's, it, I don't know. I've lost my train of thought, but there's, you know, I was up for for a sort of switching gears anyway to have disappeared uh, among the pandemic like so many other artists. I, I do still feel that I'm a part of the community, even even though I was sort of stepping to the side a bit. So I am very empathetic, I think, to the to the plight of performers, just because I've talked to so many of them over the years and uh, on my radio show and having people play here at the house and stuff. And I know how hard it can be. What, 
you talk about this industry trauma, like what, what was so difficult about it for you without, you know, without getting too uncomfortable with it or anything, but, but why do you, why did you feel like you just had enough of that? I, you know, I worked with some really, really wonderful people and I worked with a lot of women, which I, which I like. And, uh, it's, everybody's doing a great job, but there's a little bit of a different focus and, and, I was never terribly pleased being the focus. <laughs> so it's so when someone is when they're when your job is to sell, when your job is to brand it and uh, and design it and fabricate it and sell it and all that sort of stuff, and then all that had my name on it, I uh, I would fight against it. I would disagree. I would you know. It, and, and just all these kinds of struggles. And I felt like I was being made to do things that I didn't want to do, which is true, but I didn't know how to suggest otherwise. So it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's nobody's fault. You know, nobody was like pinning me down and saying too bad, you got to. Um, I didn't know how to, how to make it otherwise. So I still don't know the way that I've tried to remedy that for myself is by is by not being on a label and not having a branding person and not having a publicist and just sort of retreat and take a breather and um you know the songs that i'm proud of the songs that i regret a little bit and it's never it was never a one-woman show but i learned a lot that i'm that i'm able to use now that I am in control. I'm struggling to understand this. You're a performer. You know, you know, your name's going to be on the thing. Do you wish you had a band name to hide behind or what are we talking about here? Like, I assume you wanted to do this. You, you wanted to make music. I did. I did want to do it. And I had a really great time. But the thing is when they're like, uh, the radio's never going to play that song. They're going to play this song. And I go, Oh, really? That's song? <laughs> everybody does this. Yeah, but they'll play that song if it's 30 seconds shorter and it has another electric guitar and maybe less tuba. And you're like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll do that. It doesn't mean that the thing is, is that it, it takes a village. You can't just be, I know best, I know best all the time because the people I worked with are, are good at their jobs for a reason. You know, they made good decisions. They made good suggestions. If I was uncomfortable with those suggestions, I either should have said so uh, talked it through, you know, <laughs> and, and instead I just sort of got a little bitter, but you know, that this is in the past, you understand, but, um, you know, and I, and I didn't know how to stand up for myself really. And I didn't know how to say, that's not what I want. And, and the, the hilarious thing is, it's not like I have a ton of money and a ton of like, like, it's not like, it's not like I'm this huge billboard artist either. I'm talking about like, oh, what is CBC Radio 3 going to put on their thing? Oh, poor me. But, you know, but it's, when you're putting all this stuff out there, it's your name. And when they're working on this great tour for you and you're going to be out there and you're not going to get a day off for a long time, uh, it boils down to to just this this one person. And, and I I was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. So you talked about uh, moving into doing documentaries and, and stuff like that. Have you, have you always been a filmmaker or how did you get interested in that kind of work? Cause you've done some great things. 
I, thanks. <laughs> it still feels new because there's this interruptive pandemic thing where nothing happened. So I still feel like a, a rookie. But I said to someone just yesterday, oh, I didn't start making films until about six years ago. And then I was like, wait, six years? <laughs> anyway, I don't know. It's It started with the... Um, uh, I called it this video. I don't know what it's really called, but the one with all the people holding signs of the mental health stats was the first thing that I was really in charge of uh, in a in a video format. And and I I I loved the realization of that idea so much. I I thought um, I thought I'd just elbow my way in and call myself a filmmaker and hope that nothing went wrong. <laughs> That's how I do things. <laughs> So was it a desire to make that, that film yourself or was it just like, we don't want to pay somebody to do it. I figure I can do it. And then you have fun doing it. I don't know. It was just, you find yourself having the same conversation over and over and over and over and over. You're like, well, everybody else must be having this conversation too. Can we stop having this now and just get it addressed already? Yeah. And um, it was, it was Jenny Wright who, who at the time was the head of the status of women council here in St. John's. And I met with her, to be part of that video and she said well i hope you're uh, comfortable being an advocate because that's what they're going to call you right away <laughs> and um she was right and there the you know the rest is politics <laughs> is that a bad thing to be called an advocate no it's great but it, i love it but it's certainly it's a lot there's a lot of um advocacy comes with confidence and uh, that's something I've had to work on my whole life and uh, it comes and it goes and I'm sort of along for the ride and when you're an advocate you you're expected to know what you're talking about and uh, the thing that makes me nervous about advocacy is that people don't choose their advocates uh, advocates are like me we just kind of pop up or we do something or we're good at PR and there you go you got an advocate. What if it's not the advocate you want? What if it's some spotlight hungry straight weirdo? You don't choose your advocates. So I, for that reason, I, I feel very sensitive about, um, about not doing any harm, you know? Talk to me a bit about this song or <laughs> whatever, whatever you call it. Where, where did that come from? Because that, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of themes of mental health and stuff. Uh, in your in your music and and you've talked about it before, but that for me was the was the time where you just became overtly like spokesperson for this cause. Why why did where did that come from? That the song that everything's going to be all right on repeat. Like yeah, like doing that and then you know stepping in front of it like that. You know what it is? It's it's asking people if they want to take part in it and and watching people trip up over themselves wanting so desperately to be a part of something and to help inspire change and to help tell people that they're going to be okay, even though things are not okay. It's, I don't know. I had an idea. I asked people if they wanted to take part and it was so well received. I, you know, that flow of confidence went up. I was like, okay, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong about this being important. Um, it really matters to all these people and it matters to me. So here we go. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's very tricky and it's an ever, it's an ever moving thing. It's always changing. Can you talk at all about your personal reasons for getting into this or why this was so important to you? 
to do? Yeah, I mean, I've... uh, (sighs) I don't know where to begin. I mean, I've had my own things, but it's not... um, I I have no standout, um, you know, crazy pants event that... I just, it's almost like folk music is that this is a natural home for me. This is a natural home for, for, for my skills, for my, you know, empathy, for, for the things that I care about. I'm good at this. I can help with this, with this system, systemic change. And with people who are, it's funny, I used to say people who are sitting alone in a room, but now of course everybody's been sitting alone in a room for a year, you know, but for people who were sitting alone in a room 20 years prior to that, I, I was like, I can do this. I can help. Uh, I, I regret when it gets very political and it often does. And I've sat on a number of committees and I've, you know, been frustrated by that. It sort of, politics sort of um, plays on your vanity and everybody's got a little bit of vanity, but when they're like, oh, Miss Curran, we'd like you to sit on this very important committee with blah, 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 and you'll be reporting directly to the minister of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, I'm very important. (laughs) You know, I want to do that. And then um, committees are hard. There's, they're a necessary, I don't want to say evil, but they're a necessary, necessary, super boring cog. <laughs> Part of what I'm trying to do with this show is just have people share their kind of personal experiences with, with mental illness and stuff like that. Uh, the, the reason for me doing this show, there's a, there's a few of them. I mean, I, I've, I've had some terrible uh, mental illness issues in my life. Um, I'm, it's, it's amazing that I'm here today. I've, I feel blessed every day that I didn't actually kill myself one of the thousand times that I wished that I could have. I wish I had known at the time that more people were having those kind of troubles than just me because you feel so isolated when it's happening. And then the other thing that, that, uh, that really got me going is there, there are some musician heroes of mine who died by suicide and it just, uh, it just took the wind right out of me. Like, how can these people and they're almost always guys uh how can these guys who seem so talented and so successful uh be going through the same same awful shit that uh nerdy lonely jeff robson was going through you know so so that's kind of why why i'm here and uh and i just feel like it's it's important for us to share those kind of stories you know i think so yeah i i'm really glad that you didn't die me too yeah yeah, I um, I I mean, I certainly had my own struggles to a point where I identify very well, and uh, and I understand. And people who do understand understand immediately. You never have to explain it, right? You know, you'll notice. You say depression or anxiety, or even you don't have one of those words. You just start to talk about it a little, and you'll find people nodding really quickly. People understand immediately. That's something that that is really in our corner when we're talking about mental illness and addiction and things like that. And especially within the music community and the music industry. And, uh, you know, people understand immediately. You don't need to explain to someone what addiction is if they understand what it does to your to to one's life. Oh, I'm getting lost again because I'm too excited. I want to tell you. When, because you know, it's been so long. I, I, 
I almost forgot, not that I forget, but it's not as on the tip of my tongue as it, as it used to be, is that there was a, a, a man who died here in St. John's who died by suicide and his parents put it in his obituary that he died by his own hand. And this was such a, a new thing. It was novel and, and, and the, the courage to say so and all these sort of things that sometimes people are tired of being told they're courageous, but it, but it is there. And so uh, his parents had to, they were interviewed, they were on the radio, they were on television, they were talking about it. And I remember, and these are friends of mine, and I remember him saying, thank God for slum landlords. Um, which is so weird, but, <laughs> but there are so many people in varying stages of, of spiraling or of recovering uh, where the opportunities to take part in an effective community or society are so little that, um, that I understand what he meant. Thank God for slum landlords, you know? And that just made me sad and tired and it made me realize that mental illness is fatal oh my gosh I was like this is he died from mental illness he didn't you know this wasn't complicating factors due to something something he died from a mental illness that went either untreated or undertreated when you talk about isolation I mean community is part of the cure for this I think and uh, I just, I've seen so many people die by suicide and it does keep happening. And I lost a friend just a month ago and, I, and I'm like, what do I, what do I do about this? How much of it is actually to do with health and how much of it is to do with poverty, opportunity, connection, you know, these are all the things. How much of that is political and how much of that is up to us? I think that we have more power as caring people in a community. I think we have more power than we give ourselves credit. You know, I think mental health first aid would go a long way to, to relieving a, a strange system that's run by the government. I think it would save lives if people understood mental health first aid the same way they understand CPR, even if you didn't take the class, if you just saw it on TV or something, because, because art is important when we see ourselves in it. You know, I think this could go a long way. I think the answers may be simpler than all that. And we just, we need to be there for each other. And we, and it's okay that we don't know how. I know you kind of have your own, uh, I don't know what to, whether you call it a foundation or what, but, but you have an organization that you kind of, uh, where you go and you, you speak about these topics and stuff like that. How, how did you go from just, you know, caring about the topic to being, that's a big part of your job now? That's okay. So my, my partner, uh, it's called It's Mental, which is a, a sort of a Newfoundlandia, <laughs> Newfoundlandia kind of play on, I don't know. It's, we love it, <laughs> but that's mental, you know? So it's called It's Mental. And it, it was um, my co-founder is, is Donnie Cody and uh, DC Design House. I would urge you to show him some love. He Now he's in branding and marketing and publicity and all well-established favorite stuff of mine. <laughs> but he's good and he knows what he's 
and, and and this is a this is a real sweet spot for him too. So we we got together. He said uh, he he enjoyed that I was tired of sitting around and waiting for the government to do stuff. And um, so we partnered up and we, I don't want to say we floundered, but it took us a while to find our real goals. We made a ton of t-shirts and, and then it was way, we bit off way more than we could chew by giving them away for free <laughs> all over the place. We spent like a year and a half begging and borrowing and stealing friends to like, stuff these things into envelopes and, and madly going over lists. Oh my gosh, what an administrative nightmare. But so that's t- free t-shirts for you. What we've done. I'm so glad you asked because we launched a new website like yesterday. Uh, it, it's mental.ca. So what we are doing is we are, uh, <laughs> I'm so good at elevator pitches, right? I, <laughs> We are sharing mental health first aid training as far and as wide as we can reach. And that is what we're doing because it's the sharing of knowledge. And it's that simple. And sharing knowledge gives you the confidence. And, and it's, it's, it's easy to share knowledge if one person is confident enough in it. So you can get the mental health first aid training. You can also, we're hoping to be able to pay for people to become trainer trainer trainers <laughs> so they so they can train the people to give the course and then we'll have even more mental health first aid trainers to the point where where like you're tired of taking to taking the course this is where i want to get oh no not cpr again that's that's where i'd like to get you know with the first aid um it's it's a great course it's not complex it's encouraging that a lot of your common sense instincts about this stuff are, are, are not too off base and you can learn a lot about it. However, getting the training to become a trainer is, uh, comes with a pretty hefty price tag. So that's what we're helping with. So we're doing a pretty massive fundraiser, a 12 hour yogathon. That's what you always wanted in your life. 12 hours of yoga. That'll help. It will help. It will. Um, we're going to raise all kinds of money and we're going to put it directly to getting people trained to teach mental health first aid wherever we can find them. Now, obviously, we need to go to the website and find out more about this. But can you can you g- just give me an idea what mental health first aid looks like? Like what what's involved in that? Well, it's it's exactly that. I mean, think of your your first aid for your physical health. It's it's here's how to deal with the immediate problem. And then get to a professional. <laughs> That's what it is. It's first aid. It doesn't make you a psychologist. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you can diagnose all your friends. It means if someone is in a crisis, it will give you a toolkit of what to do in a crisis and then how to get to help. Right? So it gets you from the, you know, the metaphorical sitting alone in a room uh, to an actual path to recovery, you know? So, so if you're a friend watching a friend who is struggling, it, it'll help you, it'll help you understand how to deal with that, which is super awkward and, you know, and that's okay, but it's, it's gonna, it's gonna help you. It's almost like listening lessons too, you know? That's so amazing because I think in so many cases, we sometimes we know that somebody might be having a hard time or, you know, we know for sure that they've been in and out of a mental illness cycle or whatever. 
but we just have no idea what to do or even how to help, right? So, and often it's like, you don't want to bring it up, but you don't want to do nothing. And so this is giving me kind of ways to start that conversation and do those things. Yeah, that's exactly it. Ways to start the conversation and how to take part in the conversation effectively. You can't just, you know, it, some, mostly your, your empathetic instincts are going to be right. Uh, but you have to be so wary of triggers that there are really important steps in the first aid. And if anyone is, is that you can find available courses near you, <laughs> I think it's Mental Health Commission of Canada, MHCC, is, is going to be where you would find the courses. I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure there's a page in there where you can plug in your postal code and see if there's any available courses. If it costs a lot of money, let me know <laughs> and I'll get mad at someone for you because <laughs> it should be readily available. Right. That's the, that's the goal. We're going to get a lot of people trained and then we're going to, we're going to try and uh, make it as accessible as possible. Yeah. It's just one of those things that seems so common sense to me that if we could deal with some of the problems that people are having before they get into real trouble, um, not only can we save lives but we can like there's so much the, the crime and the you know just the nastiness out there that can be attributed to people just going through stress or dealing with a mental illness and not knowing how addictions and all kinds of things often boil down to that and it just seems like why aren't we doing something about this and i guess the ultimate answer is that that you and i just have to start doing something about this exactly yeah we can we're gonna you know, I, like I said, I do, I do a lot of uh, speaking, uh, which is fancy talking. And uh, so I do, I do a lot of talking, but at some point you have to walk the talk. You have to do the work. I've taken the course. I'm going to take a refresher course. You know, it's, you, I, <laughs> there is something that we can do. There absolutely is. And one of the most frustrating things in this whole subject is when you sit around feeling like you can't help. And certainly it's, it's not been made easy for anyone to just start being helpful, you know, save some lives. However, uh, it could be as simple as a, as, a, as a listening skill. And listening is not necessarily all that of an intuitive thing, you know, it's a, look it up, be willing to learn, be willing to be wrong about something. And, and it's going to be okay. Again, I would look to queer culture who, who are almost always first. Uh, <laughs> I just, just so many applause. Um, and the non-binary language. Uh, we've adopted it. Let's move on to the next thing. That's it. We can do that with mental health first aid. We can get it out there. We can adopt it and we can go, okay, good. We all feel okay. Uh, who's not okay? <laughs> and, then, and then move on to the next thing. We can do that. We can do it. So you must have some, uh, I mean, I know you've, uh, It's Mental has been around for a while and you've been doing this for a while. Do you have like success stories that people told you that this the ideas that you're putting forth and stuff have, have already been put into practice and have already helped. I hope so. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess they're not breaking down your door to thank you. Yeah, exactly. Who's on top of this? Uh, not me. I, you know, so our website has been up for 24 hours. Uh, and, uh, 
we have a grand total of one trainer <laughs> named Allison Butler, who's, who's wonderful. And uh, as soon as we get this fundraiser our, under our belt, which we hope will be a flagship fundraiser, the Yogathon, I think we can start. Uh, somebody explained it to me as, as uh, picture two lineups. One lineup is people who are ready to get trained. And the other lineup is people who are ready to throw money at the people who are going to get, to get trained. And I'm like, yes, we can administrate the hell out of that. And now we're ready. So here we go. So are we looking for people to get into those lines? How, how do we get people involved in this? Yeah. You know what? Register for the Yogathon. One of the silver linings of the pandemic Gosh, what a weird, I'm so uncomfortable every time I say that, but I try. <laughs> One of the silver linings of the pandemic is that virtual events mean uh, we're not restricted by geography. So this is going to be a virtual event on June 20th, uh, marking the summer solstice. And um, as we get closer, you know, if things are safe here in St. John's, we may have a live thing that people can come to, but there will still be a virtual event no matter what. Uh, you can sign up for a yogathon. You can register a team. It doesn't mean you have to do 12 hours of yoga by yourself. If you're like me, I do five minutes and then I spend the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say 12 minutes might be hard for me. <laughs> yeah. In five minutes, I spend the rest of the day feeling pretty superior to yesterday's version of me, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, you get your team, you register, be confident that your money is, is going to a really, really great place. And, you, you know, because we're here for you. I'm still trying to make sense of this. What does a virtual yoga-thon look like? Like, we're we're all doing it kind of together over Zoom or what? I don't know. I've, I've never done a yoga-thon. I do five minutes of yoga a week. I don't know. Because <laughs> many of our, of our committee members in It's Mental are yoga instructors. Um, and uh, it's Teresa Butler. Is Teresa Butler the Yogathon? Is Teresa's brainchild, and God love her. She she hit so many walls and so many roadblocks getting this off the ground, and then partnered with us, and then together we hit a lot of walls and a lot of roadblocks and a global pandemic and one thing and then the other thing. And so this is our first one, but we've been planning this thing for three years. <laughs> um, twelve yoga teachers, twelve hours. It's great for beginners. It's great if you've been doing it all your life. Because there's also, I mean, let's, let's gently roll into the link between our physical health and our mental, emotional well-being, right? I guess we just go to itsmental.ca and find out more information about this. And um... Yes, because my elevator pitch as we've established is not great, but it's, uh, but are these things like, like, you know, you're in Newfoundland and we can read about this on the internet. Is, is there some way that we can bring some of these ideas to our community as well, far away from there? Sure. I'm not going to say no. Just don't do an invitation like that. I mean, we're, we're doing our thing here, but I mean, this, this scale of it is, is new for us as well. Cause again, we're, we're a registered nonprofit, dirty dirt. We have all our ducks in a row, but we are still, we're just a committee. We're not a governance board. You know, we're a working committee of volunteers, um, you know, small potatoes, great big hearts. Uh, there's no reason that we can't be partnering with, with people across the country. This is the thing you, when you just insist that something can be better and you're going to try and help make it better, people are going to help you do that. You're never going to have to do that alone. 
I am not alone in my advocacy work. I'm not alone with it's mental. Lots of people are volunteering and they don't, and they're like, what can I do? I'll do whatever. Uh, and it's because, it's because I just insisted. I'm like, I, we're going to change this system because it sucks. So let's do it. And people are like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. People will say yes. If you, oh, if you build it, they will come, you know, like <laughs> all this sort of thing. I think that I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to compliment myself, but I, but I, <laughs> but I, I, I mean this so much and I think that that's coming through and I think that people have responded to that and, and to that end, not to that end, but because of that, uh, I'm not doing this alone. So many people are working so hard and, um, you know, if you want to help, someone could use your help. That's it. That's it's amazing work, and uh, again, I, I I told you before, it's it's a real inspiration. You know, I'm I'm the guy who has an understanding of this, and I want to help. And sometimes I just I just don't know what to do, and so this has all been really helpful. The way that you can help is kind of a drag. Like when first when when people were calling to volunteer, and we we were like, we're in over our head with these friggin' t-shirts. Can you please come help and drive Amelia to the post office with these two hundred envelopes. And you're like, oh, that's kind of, it's not really what I want to do. It's like, if you want to help your friend run their restaurant, you, you want to be the head chef. You want to be Gordon Ramsay. You don't want to be the guy sweeping out the bathrooms, but they might just need help sweeping out the bathrooms. You know, <laughs> this is it. I, uh, I was a theater nerd in high school and my theater teacher used to say there uh, that every, every job is very important. If your job is to make toast, it is the most important toast in the world, <laughs> you know, things like that. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. If we, if we had not gotten those t-shirts out, we would have, we could have lost all credibility and maybe somebody didn't get their t-shirt to this day. And I have lost all credibility with that person. And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, but it's, it's time to move on and get your mental health first aid training. Is a lot of the stuff, do you feel like a lot of the stuff is taking on a new importance for you now that you're a parent? I know that when I, you know, I, I had a son rather late in life and I never really realized how friggin' selfish and idiotic I was until now all of a sudden I have to care about somebody else more than me sometimes. Do you feel like being a parent now makes this more important to you to, to change things for the better? I think so. I, I mean... Oh my gosh. She's three. She's only three and, and only just three. Um, I think about, I don't want these systems to be exactly the same in 15 years for her. I don't want to have to tell her that I worked for 25 years for something that didn't happen. You know, that's it. I'm not, I'm not afraid of her falling or stumbling or getting hurt or anything like that. That's just life. But, but I'm, I don't want all this to be for nothing. Ooh. Over to you, Uncle Trudeau. I call him Uncle Justin, Uncle JT, Uncle Prime Minister Moneybags. <laughs> you know, 
<clears throat> in a way, I know I'm like, oh, politics, schmolitics a little bit. And we shouldn't be waiting for the government to legislate our wellness and all this sort of crap. But there are some, like I said, boring, but cogs. There are some cogs that are really important. There is no national suicide prevention plan. Um, there provinces are starting to jump on board with that. I, I checked up with our own province, the Ch government of Newfoundland and Labrador is like, do we have a suicide prevention plan? And the answer was no, but it's being worked on. And it's been being worked on for about two years. So these are the kinds of things that, that are, I call it politicking. Okay, they're just politicking about it. There's very little political will for this stuff because it's not money, you know. Um, so a certain amount of politicking does have, have to happen because if, if Uncle JT does not somehow tell me that, that I'm a, my life is important, then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe him when he says, you owe me this much in taxes. <laughs> you know? like, I'm, I'm trying to take part and, and it's okay to need to be told that I matter. So in a way, politicking is, is going to play a part, but I don't think we need to sit around waiting for it because they're going to take a long time. I will tell you that I, because uh, it's a new position for me, it's only been five or six months I've been sitting on the board at CASP, C-A-S-P, which is the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention. Um, so it is not a terribly well-known organization, but it is national. And part of the reason I'm there is to, is to help... Uh, they didn't call me because they needed my help. I was like, please, can I sit on your board? And they were like, yeah, okay, I guess so. <laughs> but, you know, we, we all know who CMHA is, Canada Mental Health Association. And uh, CASP, it, to me, is, uh, is equally important to that. And uh, certainly CASP and CMHA are partners in, in a great many ways. And I hope that CASP becomes uh, more well-known in the you know, in the general public, in the, in the living rooms. I used to say the living rooms of New Brunswick, because to me, that was the most unfamiliar place in Canada. I don't know why. I was like, I, the living rooms of New Brunswick, where, where everybody watches the evening news, you know, check in, check in on CASP and, and our great many partners in suicide prevention and life promotion. What does a suicide prevention organization or policy even do? Like if, if I knew how to prevent it, I would just go do that. Like, like what's, what's in the policy or what? That's kind of it, right? It's kind of, it. we're kind of going, how do we prevent this from happening? <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, and I, apologies for making light, but I, you know, it's cultural for me. I got to laugh it through. Um, there are, Woof. So, I mean, it's like I said, when I first got involved in advocacy in, in general, it was because it was a realization that mental illness is fatal. Um, and so for CASP, I think that that is, that, that is also, that also rings true for CASP. And, uh, oh my gosh, I'm new to it. It's a new role for me. Forgive me. Uh, it's, it's a lot to do with legislation, uh, with partnering with the government, partnering with indigenous communities, feather carriers, uh, northern communities, students on ice, north in focus. You know, these are incredible, incredible organizations who are doing such great work. 
suicide prevention is, uh, is different from mental health care in the sense that just consider all of the things that go into your mental wellness and consider all of the things that have kept you alive. And it is not because you went to the dentist and it is not because you had a, a GP or not. It is, it is community. It is uh, economy. It's, I want to say poverty, you know, opportunity, connection, all these things. CASP takes all these things into account and, and we're trying to figure out how we can prevent this from happening. <laughs> That's the thing. There's also this, a concept that is new to me, um, which is called postvention. So, so we understand prevention of things. Uh, in postvention, we're talking about uh, connecting families who have suffered losses to suicide. Because um, like I said, it's, it's about connection. It's uh, one of my, <laughs> I'm too excited. I don't know what to say. I'm thinking about Think about Pete's eager and and uh, participation will save the human race. You know, right now, CASP is focused on connection, uh, a little on legislation, a little bit talking about made and the passing of Bill C seven. You know, uh, a, a lot of anti poverty talk. So there's a lot that's going to go into actually preventing a suicide, promoting a life. There's a lot to that. You know, there's, there's things to consider. I mean, they're trying to cure cancer, but you could cure cancer for men and not necessarily for women. You know, it's these, these sorts of things. Not that, not that curing cancer is simple, obviously, and preventing suicide is neither simpler nor more complex than that. I, I believe there are a great many socioeconomical factors that go into suicide. And I believe that there's a place for people like me to to have a seat at that table on the shelf and nobody asks for my opinion because you don't want to hear it i swear i'm only human wishing i could disappear you must think it's an illusion that i like to live in fear of a probable solution why the devil put me here friends please take some time to educate yourself and find out how you can help in the important work that amelia is so actively involved in you can find out more about the canadian association for suicide prevention at suicideprevention.ca to get involved in the yogathon that we talked about or help with Amelia's work, visit itsmental.ca. Amelia and I would both love it if you'd purchase some of her wonderful music. She pointed out that it's mighty expensive raising a three-year-old as a single parent who volunteers all over the place and is so involved in many important organizations. Check out AmeliaCurran.com for links to buy her music or you can go to Bandcamp. That would really help directly support her. Of course, links and information on the music used in this show can be found at flywithyourshadow.com. You can find a lot of great music by John Bottomley on iTunes. I also host a music show where I play a lot of music that I know you'd love, and you can hear episodes and find out more at tellthebandtogohome.com. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a moment to tell someone about this show to help spread the word. Your direct recommendation would really help to get the message out. 
You can get in touch with me with any feedback or questions at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com or you can leave a comment at flywithyourshadow.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you'll join me next time on Fly With Your Shadow. I am a lover of the world.